Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Let's pray, and we will get into this study. Father, thank you so much for this time. Again, we've already thanked you. We've praised you. We have um, rejoiced in, in the freedom that we have. And, and for the freedoms that you've delivered to us, uh, this national freedom that we're celebrating this week and specifically tomorrow, most importantly, our spiritual freedom that we have through Christ and in Christ. And um, Lord, we ask tonight that you would speak to us. Lord, we are a people in need of, of your spirit's instruction. Lord, we're in need of your word to be in our hearts so that we don't sin against you. Lord, we need, uh, we need you, God, and we're thankful that we have you. We thank, we're thankful that we're yours and tonight, as we look further into this, Lord, the fact that we are yours in Christ and, Lord, the relationship we have with you through Christ, and uh, I pray that you would speak to us and, and help us to be encouraged. Uh, if necessary, if there's somebody here that's not truly saved, Lord, they don't have a real relationship with you, uh, I pray you would show them that. Lord, it's such an important thing. It's not something to run from, some, but it's something to look into. And I pray that, uh, if, again, there's somebody here like that, that they would listen that you would um, just speak to them tonight and they would surrender their life to you. For those of us who've already done that, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded, we'd be encouraged, and maybe even challenged and convicted if necessary. Lord, just move now. Use me as a vessel. Lord, you deserve all the honor. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles there. And um, <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 1. It says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now, this is the second time that John kind of gave a reason for his writing. Uh, the first one, he said that your joy may be full. And, um, and so uh, right now he's saying, I'm writing these things to you that you will not sin. He's making it very clear. He's making a very clear point uh, of knowing these truths about being in Christ and about Christ being in us. And that we would follow Christ. Again, very unashamedly, John is making this statement. Uh, what it means to, to, to follow Christ, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have Christ in us, John is very clearly saying, my little children, namely, I want you to follow Christ in that you don't sin. In chapter 1, we see that all of us sin. So we kind of come to a little conflict, conflict, a little tension in Scripture where he says, uh, everybody sins, and if you say that you don't sin, you're a liar. That's what we saw in First, first John chapter 1. And now he's, in the very beginning of 1 John chapter 2, he says, here is what you need to do. If you're, gonna, if you're in Christ, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to call yourself a Christian, you should not sin. And so you come to that and you're like, okay, uh, what does that mean? If we all fall short, if we all err, if we all sin, if we all transgress God's perfect word, even when we are in Christ, how do you reconcile this? Again, any spirit-filled, any um, person who is in Christ, there's something very clear in them because of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that is this. There is not a desire to sin. I'm not saying that the flesh doesn't enjoy sin. I'm not saying that we don't battle with sin. Again, we already talked about that in 1 John chapter 1. We talked about it before. I'm going to mention Romans chapter 7 here in a little bit. Uh, we all know that there is a battle with sin. 
uh, that's what Romans chapter 7 says. Paul said, after the, uh, the inward man, I delight after the law of God, but the outward man delights to, in the law of sin. I mean, the, the fleshly man enjoys sin. The fleshly man knows what it is to sin. The fleshly man knows the pull and the temporal pleasures that come along with sin. But inside now, I really don't want to sin. I don't have the desire to sin. And so John is writing this to followers of Christ, and he's saying, here's what you need to know. You, you need to know that you shouldn't sin. You don't need to sin. The truth is this. When we're changed from an old man to a new man, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we desire God's will and not sin. So when you've been changed, as first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter um, 5 says, it says, Old, th old things are past, and behold, all things have become new. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. So if, if we have been changed from an old man to a new man, then that is the truth. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and as the Holy Spirit lives in us, we desire to do God's will, and we desire not to sin. But as I said, it's a battle. The battle's real. Nobody's pretending. I'm not trying to pretend that I don't battle with sin. Nobody in here can pretend that you don't battle with sin. Whether it's a thought, whether it's an omission of something, whether you should have done something and you didn't do it, where you saw the opportunity, or whether you did something with the wrong intent or the wrong motive or the wrong thought or whatever. Again, the standard of God and His holy standard is perfection. It's perfection. There, there, there can, again, the, the scripture says that if you offend the law in one point, you've offended all of it. And so if we miss the mark, even if it's just a, a little bit, as I said uh, last week, if, if something is dirty, if, it's, if, if you have something that is, is white and it has a speck of dirt on it, it's no longer perfectly white. You would say that's dirty. In, in man's opinion, we would say, well, it's mostly clean, but it's still dirty. <laughs> It's not absolutely pure. It's not absolutely clean. It's not without spot. It's not without blemish. And again, that's God's holy standard is there would be no spot. There would be no blemish because that's the way God is. There's no sin. He cannot look in darkness. In him, is it, there's not any darkness at all we saw. And so again, when we are changed, we desire not to sin. There's something in us. If you're here tonight and that's not you, 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 you got to examine something. I'm going to say that a couple times throughout this. Because I can honestly say here that while I miss the mark every day, that while I have a battle with sin every day, my honest desire in my heart is that I would never offend God, that I would never sin. I don't want to do that. And anytime that battle rears its head and I say, ah, there's conviction and there's, there's regret. I don't want to do that. Why did I not, why did I not share that with them? Or whatever the case may be. Again, nobody's pretending it's not a battle. All of us face it in these fleshly bodies. So it's very clear. For the believer, we don't desire to sin. And while we still do sin, we don't live in it. And that's what John was pointing to. My little children, I'm writing to you so that you will not live in sin. So you won't commit sin and you won't live in sin. And we've already looked at the fact that we are no longer servants to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now in Christ, we could recognize through God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can have conviction. And we can repent with God's help. It's different now that we're in Christ.
Besides that, any spiritual father, any pastor, any mentor, any biblical teacher, anybody who cares for other believers or, or other people who God has given them in their care, I believe even a fellow believer, anybody who is in that place would express exactly what John expressed. And that was what was spiritually best and what was honoring to God. Nobody who is a child of God, knowing that another believer is about to enter into sin, would be okay with another believer entering into sin. Nobody would be okay with somebody living in sin if they knew they were living. You, you know people like that. Maybe you have family members. You have nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. I don't know. You have... I don't know. You have people in your life, you know that they say that they're a Christian and they're going towards sin or they're living in sin. And in your heart, you want to tell them, stop. Maybe you have told them, stop. Stop doing that. Stop living in that. You call yourself a Christian. You say this, but you're not supposed to do that. There's a reason why. Again, expressing what's spiritually be is best for uh, believers, John is saying, listen, you should not sin. Don't commit offenses. And even more, don't live in sin. So that's the will of God. John's writing, this is what I want you to do. Don't sin. But knowing the realities of our flesh, he continues on in verse, verse 1. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Look at verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Mind blown. <laughs> I mean, that's mind blowing. Again, we talked about this last week, this humbling truth that if we confess our sins, not based on our own faithfulness, not based on our own justice, not on our own goodness, but on God's faithfulness and on God's goodness, the promise that's given in Scripture is that we will be forgiven. If we confess our sins with, to God, we will be forgiven. Now, John is going a little bit further to expounding on how this relationship with God is possible. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save us. His sacrifice judicially was enough. In other words, to be declared righteous in God's sight, the sacrifice of Jesus was enough. It was sufficient justifying us before this holy God, this righteous God without blemish. Again, this is not only sufficient to justify us, to make us righteous in God's sight, but is also sufficient in the process of salvation. And you say, what? The process of salvation? I thought once, once you're saved, you're always saved if you're truly saved. Absolutely. You are justified. Nothing changes that. Once you are saved, once you have been uh, changed from an old man to a new creature, once the Holy Spirit has lived in, it takes up residence inside you, once you are in God, the Bible says that no man is able to remove us from his hand, including ourselves. So it's a one-time thing. Yes, justified. We are declared righteous in God's sight. But there is a process in our salvation that the blood, that the sacrifice is enough for as well. That process is called sanctification. The process by which we are becoming made more like Christ. Formed in the image of Christ. The state that our relationship with God, our Father, is kept intact with. Again, His sacrifice, His blood is sufficient for that. Because of Christ, 
Again, we have been justified. Because of Christ, we are being sanctified. And because of Christ, one day we will be glorified. All of this is the salvation package, if you will. Once, once we are truly saved, all of this is 100% guaranteed. Once we are saved, we have been justified in God's sight. It's a, it's a legal matter. The word justified is a legal word. It means that the decision has been made. The sentence has been cleared. There is no more guilt. It's gone. You are justified. Never to worry about it again. One-time thing. But the process of our life, just as we said, John, uh, uh, Paul, talking in Romans chapter 7, this battle with the flesh and, and, and trying to obey the law of God, this process of us becoming more like Christ is sanctif- sanctification. One day, when he takes us out of these temporal bodies, uh, as, as Paul says in Romans, he says that, uh, not that we desire to be unclothed, uh, but that we would be clothed upon with our heavenly, uh, heavenly tabernacle, our, 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 our heavenly bodies. One day, the Bible says we will be like him. In other words, we will be changed in the fashion of this, this, this man, this, these, these fleshly bodies, into a glorified body. All of this is guaranteed because of the blood of the spotless lamb being sufficient, being satisfying of what God demands. If you look at that, it says we have an advocate with the Father. Think about this for a second. We have one who stands on our behalf before the righteous judge of all creation. He stands. He's on our side. We are on his side. We are in him. He is in us. We abide in him. He abides in us. Again, all of these are are, are truths found in Scripture. And because we are in him, because of his sacrifice, we have somebody who stands on our behalf and stands for us before a righteous father. And this makes community. What we talked about in 1 John chapter 1, the very first uh, sermon in this. This makes community fellowship with him possible. Again, I, I don't, I, you can use whatever illustration you want, but no illustration with an earthly person will ever do. You can talk about kings, you can talk about presidents, but as far as being able to approach these people, there has to be some type of end. We have access to the God, the ruler of everything. Not some imaginary figure, not some uh, made-up thing, not some good story found in a book, but the creator of our very lives, the ruler of all things, the sovereign God, the judge, the everlasting Father. We have entrance, and we stand there in his presence. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are there because of Jesus Christ. And it's because he alone is righteous. Because no matter how good we are, no matter how sanctified we become in this life, we are still always in process. And there have been great theologians, there have been great uh, people who have lived, even the Apostle Paul, who was being inspired to write Scripture, writes in Romans chapter 7, man, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. There's this battle inside my members. Nobody is righteous in themselves. And our fellowship, our connection with God is only because of the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. He alone is righteous. And because he alone is righteous, he alone can stand as our advocate with the Father. But it's also the reason he alone is the propitiation for our sins. You may hear that word and you say, that's a Bible word, I have no idea. I I, I mean, I I get it, I, I think, 
that he took care of our sins. He's the payment for our sins. You're very, very, very close. Another word for it would be atonement. But the word propitiate means something very clearly. It means to win or regain favor by what is pleasing or what satisfies, what takes care of it. So think about this. The sacrifice of the righteous Christ, the only spotless lamb, was and is the only satisfying sacrifice for sin. That, that may not mean anything, but uh, to, to us as Christians who've been Christians for a long time, it may not blow us over like with, wow, yeah, because we know that, we believe that, we know that Christ is the only way, we know that his sacrifice is the only thing. But just as we saw in that video, there are those who haven't experienced the freedom that they experienced until they came to America. We need to remember, this is our Christ, this is our, our Savior, this is our Lord. He was the only sacrifice that satisfied the righteous God. That's what it means. See, the lambs of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they only pacified God's righteous demand. They pacified it. They put, it off, they put off God's demand on sin, the sin of the nation of Israel. So every year, that sac same sacrifice of lambs, the, the blood, would have to be shed. And so it pacified, it put off the wrath of God or God's demand against sin. But the lamb that was sacrificed for the New Testament satisfied. One pacified and one satisfied. Again, sin demands death. We see in Christ's death that his, his, his death paid that demand for death on our behalf. It doesn't take away the fact that God still hates sin. We know that. God hates sin. We know, according to Scripture, that God's wrath is being stored up, and it's going to be poured out against all unrighteousness and sin, the Bible says. One day, that wrath, the wrath with, with the full fury, the full power of the Creator God, the God who the Bible says, said, let there be light. And when there was no light, light came into existence. The God who the Bible says, breathed out the stars, the host of heaven. The, the, the God who took dirt that he created and formed us and breathed into us something we didn't have, we couldn't create ourselves, and that was life. He, he did all of that. This God who is all-powerful, nothing keeps his power contained. He is all-powerful. That God is going to once and for all eliminate what he hates. I don't know about you, but I can't fathom that in my mind. I mean, you see, uh, I've used this illustration before, uh, but when we saw us enter into uh, the, the, the war on terror, they, they talked about how it was shock and awe. They talk, that was the kind of the campaign name, shock and all. And they, they, I mean, it was just a fury. It was an unleashing of, of wrath and destruction. And, and it was to eliminate the, the, those, those, uh, those, those places. That doesn't even hold even a glimmer of, uh, of, 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 of a light to what God's wrath will look like being poured out against all unrighteousness and sin. Because there's nothing that compares to his power. I mean, as much as a, um, a, a full fury of, of missiles and, and artillery could, could do damage, 
None of them can wipe out the way that God can wipe out. And we, mankind, us, we have an advocate because we have an offering because there was a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. That's why we can stand here and not be trembling in fear that, that maybe if we mess up, God's going to strike us down or, or, if we, or if we miss the mark or if we sin, that, that, that God's just going to look to, okay, now you're, you're sinning again and now I'm going to let you experience some of my wrath. No, no, no. Our punishment was placed upon Christ so that the wrath we deserve for our evil will never have to be experienced by us ourselves. That's a mind-blowing thing. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It doesn't say that who the Lord loves, he destroys. God's wrath destroys, eliminates. And it's, there's a reason. It's a, it's, a, it's a removal of evil. It's a removal of unrighteousness. That's what God uses his wrath for. So as the children of God, as Christians here tonight, we need to be encouraged with the fact that we'll never experience any wrath of God. It says that in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, that we were not appointed to wrath. That sacrifice, though, that satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf, again, was made by our Christ. Again, we must accept his sacrifice on our behalf if, if we want that blood applied to our account. It has to be a choice made. So as I prayed in the beginning, if there's somebody here tonight and you're saying, I'm not quite sure that I am saved. Because you were talking about a desire not to sin, but man, I like doing what I like to do. And I want to keep doing that. If that's the desire of your heart and you don't desire, if you don't say, man, all I really want to do is, is, is please God. I know I don't. I mean, I know, what, I, I know what it feels like to, to want to sin. My flesh feels that. It's a good tune. No, I don't know what it is. <laughs> if that's you tonight, then you have to evaluate that. You have to accept his sacrifice for you in order for that blood to be applied to your, your life. It's the only way. But once it's done, it's done. You don't have to keep guessing. You don't have to keep wondering. You don't have to keep worrying. None of those things because of Christ. Again, what we see, let's do a little recap. We see that it's not God's will for us to sin. But John said if we say that we, we don't sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. It's God's will that we don't sin, what we just read again. But here's the reality. If we sin, which we know we will, we have an advocate, not because of us, but because of his grace and his mercy. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place, again, his substitutionary death. All of this was made so that we could have that advocate, so we could have that fellowship with God again, because of Jesus Christ. Again, his sacrifice was what pleased the Father, which to me is a phenomenal love. I don't know if you... I don't know if that's ever resonated with you, but I want you to try to meditate on that for just a second tonight. Propitiation. It's, it's that word, as I said, that propitiate means what is necessary or what is paid 
in order to satisfy. In order to please. Jesus, the Son of God, the only lamb that was worthy to be sacrificed for sin, his death, his sacrifice, his gory experience before the cross and on the cross satisfied the Father. That's a phenomenal love. That's a phenomenal love for us. That's a phenomenal love for for those who would spit in his face, for those who would pull his beard out and, and nail him to a cross. The very ones that he would on that cross say, forgive them. That's a phenomenal love. That, that it would please the Father to bruise the Son for us. That sacrifice satisfied him. Again, I can't wrap my human brain around that. And I try to spiritually grasp that. And it just, again, it goes back to what Scripture says, that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. Like I can't, can't imagine that. Because I don't have a son, but I have two girls. And I, I know that they're, they're not sinless. They had to accept the sacrifice for their sins as well. They had to be forgiven. They had to be saved themselves. They wouldn't be worthy anyways, nobody would, to pay for anybody's sin, let alone a rapist, a child molester, a murderer, an abuser. And the only one who was worthy, the only one who could died. Not just for little girls or little boys who haven't really lived a full life of sin yet, but for even those vilest of sinners, those who would even mock God himself to his face 2,000 years ago. I, I, I can't fathom that. And yet the Bible says that not only did, did God send his son, remember what the Bible says? God so loved the world that he gave he sent his son to save the world, is what the Bible says. But it pleased him. It was what satisfied him. It was the propitiation, the payment, the satisfaction of our sins, God's wrath, God's, God's demand for our sin. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. Like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we didn't esteem him, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He bore our griefs, he bore our sorrows, he bore all these things, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him 
was the chastisement, the punishment, the judgment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are all selfish, self-centered sinners. And the Lord, we are the ones that do that, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, and look at those next words, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And look at these next words. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord. The other, uh, another version says it pleased the Lord to crush him. Think about that. It was the will of God. It's what pleased God. It's what satisfied the wrath of God against us. We were the enemies. We were the betrayers. We were the liars, the murderers, hate, deceit. All those things, they're in our lives. They're in our heart. Nothing of that, none of that was in the Lord, was in the Messiah, was in Christ. None of it. And the Bible says that it was the will of God. It was what pleased him to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Look at these verses. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Did you get that? It was the anguish of Christ that satisfied God. The anguish is what God saw. Christ, the Son, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was what pleased the Father. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That gives me chills. I don't know if you got that, but it says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Those of us who are unrighteous, which is all of us, the Bible, if you go forward to Isaiah 64, we've said it the last few weeks, 64 verse 6 says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. John chapter 3 verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. John 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And yet what the Bible says is that because of him, we can be accounted righteous. He bore our iniquities on our behalf. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Even, transgressors. Even though he didn't sin, he was counted. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. It says he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. There you go. He took the punishment in our place and now stands between us, as we said, as an advocate, advocating on our behalf. Again, we have no case. We have nothing to say. We, we are all sinners. We have no righteousness. 
but it's because of the bruising of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the satisfactory death of Christ in God the Father's eyes that you and I, as unrighteous, dirty, unclean vessels, all who have sinned, and even though we still struggle with sin, we can be accounted righteous because of Christ and His righteousness standing before the Father advocating for us. I don't know about you, but when you struggle with sin, sometimes we can beat ourselves up, right? If you're a Christian, that's what happens sometimes. Again, whether it's something that you keep omitting over and over. God, I, I, I know I need to be in your word. God, I know I need to pray. But day after day, we omit it. We omit it. We omit it. We omit it. God, I know that it's a command. It's a commission that we're supposed to go into all the world and share the gospel. That's, that's what we're here for still. That's why we still endure pain. And you don't just take us out of this world because we are your vessels. We are your instruments. We are your soldiers. We are your body. We are your family. We are on your mission. That's why we're still here. But day after day, I keep my mouth shut and I don't share the glorious gospel with anybody. I keep omitting it. I keep omitting it. I keep omitting it. And we run into those people. And sometimes that conviction comes on us. We realize I'm not sharing the gospel with anybody. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in a long time. And that conviction comes on us and it comes on us. And sometimes we be, begin to beat ourselves down. And I believe the enemy even tries to use things to, to, to bring even guilt in our life. It's not worthy. I believe in those instances it shows 100% we're not worthy. But it doesn't change this truth that we have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't change this truth that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It doesn't change the truth that He became sin on our behalf. He paid the payment for sin on our behalf. That, that our sin debt was absolutely satisfied by the death of Christ. So that is all of our sin. Again, we talked about that last week. There's no limit to that if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our There's no limit. We're not told that there's a certain sin. We're not told that there's any amount of sin. We're just told that if we confess, that he will forgive and cleanse us. And so tonight, I'm going to stop right there. i got lots more verses and stuff to go, but... I'm going to stop right there and, and maybe just an encouragement for you tonight. Maybe, maybe you are one who, who you're struggling with the sin right now. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you haven't even admitted that there is that sin in your life that you're struggling with. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's in your thought life. I don't know. Maybe you haven't been honest with God about it. Listen, he was bruised for our iniquities. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He stands as our advocate, Christ does. He didn't go through what he went through, and he's not standing there as our advocate so that we can say, I can't confess this to God. I'm ashamed. I can't remember the last time I opened my Bible myself. I can't remember the last time 
that, that I did this. I can't remember the last time I didn't struggle with an impure thought. I can't remember the last time I didn't struggle, that, that I didn't give into this temptation. Or I can't remember the last time. It's always all the time, and I just can't. It, it, it seems like it's snowballing my life, and, and I'm so ashamed to come before God and ask God to forgive me. You've got to go to God. You have an advocate with the Father who paid your price, who paid the debt. It's done. All of them are covered under his blood. All of them. His blood is powerful enough to cleanse us, to take care of every sin before we were saved and after we're saved. All our sin. Again, it doesn't say, you know, once you get, sin, once you get saved, once, once he forgives you for your past sins and you are in Christ, now you start another account. It doesn't say that. It says that, that his righteousness is accounted, is deposited in our life. The Bible says imputed. That's, a, that's, a, that's an accounting word. It means deposited. That when we put our faith in Christ, God deposits his righteousness in us, in our account. That's a mind-blowing thing. So tonight, again, maybe you're struggling, or maybe you just... Maybe you're struggling with assurance of salvation. I didn't even get to get to those points and I really wanted to tonight. But if for nothing else, be reminded of this satisfactory death of Christ that your sins have been taken care of. Maybe, maybe tonight you were reminded that you have a loved one that's lost. Maybe you want to come tonight and pray for them. Maybe you know somebody that is struggling with their salvation. Maybe you know somebody who's, who's struggling in sin. Maybe you want to come tonight and pray for them. But man, let's praise God. If we're a Christian, let's praise God that the debt's been paid. His, satis his, his, his sacrifice is satisfactory. We have an advocate standing with us before the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this time. Again, this opportunity that we even have to be able to talk to you right now. We know is made possible because of what you've done on our behalf. We live in a world, and, and the way the world tells us is that uh, we have to earn what we receive. Um, and, and, and I realize that that's even a principle found in your, your word, that, that we have to uh, labor uh, for wages and, um, or for, for fruit. But God, we realize that in our relationship with you, the only thing that we can do is sin. And what we get for our sin is death, the wages. And the fact that you paid all of those, all, all of our sin, all of our debt is something that we can never repay you for. Again, giving us opportunity to talk to you now, giving us opportunity to repent of our sins, to confess our sins to you. Again, it's all because of what you've done for us. And so we're here tonight, again, celebrating our freedom, indebted to you forever. So, Lord, I pray you move tonight. Lord, whether you stir our hearts with gratitude, whether you uh, move in someone's heart tonight that needs to confess some sin to you and repent of that, Lord, whether you uh, burden someone for a lost friend or coworker or neighbor or family member, Lord, just do whatever you want to do right now as we respond to your word. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.